Well, the musician said it's time for me to start. Um, well, good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome to Holy Trinity, and a special welcome if you're visiting or you're here for, uh, as one person called it, the resurrection of my kids. Uh, that's not exactly right. Uh, it's a confirmation, uh, and uh, I'm not going to try and explain that. I'm going to let the bishop explain that uh, when he gets up here. Um, it's, uh, it's a relatively normal church service. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, and uh, I'll explain a little bit about how that works here. Uh, it might be a little bit different, but it's not weird or strange. We're just going to remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins as we come to his table. Uh, I know that uh, many of you came here under uh, different circumstances and perhaps drove a very long way. Maybe you even needed to get your passport stamped. Uh, so as we begin, I just wanted to open God's Word and read to us so that we can focus our minds on what it is that we have come to do this evening. We're going through a series in the book of 1 Peter, and the end of last week's passage, this is what it said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so I want to invite you tonight as those who have received God's mercy to proclaim his excellencies. And we're gonna do that right now by proclaiming his excellencies through song. So once you stand, grab your bulletin, open it to the inside, and let's sing together about our King. darkness we were waiting without hope and without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to
its breath Till that stone was moved for good For the land that conquered death And the dead was from their tombs And the angels stood in awe But the souls of all who come To the Father are restored And the church of Christ was born And the Spirit lit the flame Now the scars of the truth of old Shall not heal and shall not fade By His blood and in His name In His freedom I am free For the love of Jesus Christ Who's resurrected me So praise the Just our voices in that voice. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King. Would you please go ahead and take your seats? Uh, we do do a little bit of standing and sitting uh, on Sunday nights, and uh, that's just to keep you fit and limber and your voices ready for action. Uh, as we come before God, uh, the first thing that we are to do is to seek His forgiveness. A Christian is someone who has repented of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We confess our sins because God has promised to forgive us our sins. We don't confess them hoping that maybe he will. We confess our sins confidence that he has through the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is something that we do together uh, when we come together, when we gather like this. James tells us that we should confess our sins to one another. And so we do that by putting down a prayer on a piece of paper, and then we pray that prayer together. Some of you might be new tonight, or maybe you've never done this before, so I'd love for you to just take a moment, and as you think about coming before the Lord to confess your sins, to prepare your heart to hear God's word, to prepare yourself to come to his table a little bit later on, to just read through this prayer first. I'll give you a couple of moments to do that. And then if you feel like this is something that you can say from your heart and put on your lips, we'll confess our sins together. So why don't you just take a moment thinking about your own life and thinking about this prayer. So if you're comfortable and able, won't you confess your sins with me? Most gracious God, we acknowledge that each one of us is a sinner who has strayed from your way. We have sinned against you, both in what we have done and in what we have failed to do. Have mercy on us, most merciful Father. Forgive us our sins and help us to serve you, not only with our lips, but also with our lives 
Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. God assures us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but have everlasting life. Amen. One of the other privileges that we have when we gather together as God's people is that we can put God's words onto our lips. And so at, uh, at our evening service, we'll often do a congregational Bible reading or we'll read together from one of the Psalms. You need, you need to know this is an act of praise. This is the Old Testament uh, hymn book, as it were. I'm sure that if it was 2023, they would have put it up on slides and PowerPoints. But we have it in its written form. And so I'd like to invite you to, with me, uh, say together and encourage one another with these words from Psalm 1. And so let's read it together. Blessed is the man who has not walked in the counsel of the ungodly, nor followed the way of sinners, nor taken his seat amongst the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he will ponder day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that yields its fruit in due season. Its leaves also shall not wither, and look, whatever he does, it shall prosper. As for the ungodly, it is not so with them. They are like the chaff, which the wind scatters. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand up at the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord cares for the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Well, friends, in response to knowing that we're forgiven, in response to uh, hearing God's word, we're gonna sing again to each other and remind ourselves that God's mercy is more and that our salvation is not because of anything that we do, but because of Christ in me. So let's stand and sing these songs together.
notice in the service they always refer to me as the bishop. And so um, I am the bishop, but I'm also Desmond Inglesby and my wife Jenny. We are uh, the grandparents of the kids that are going to be confirmed tonight, as Rene and Lily um, also are the grandparents. So both sets of grandparents are here this evening. And I thought that I would just say a few quick words about confirmation because I know that there is confusion and people don't quite understand everything. And in actual fact, I don't also always understand everything. Uh, but let's try together. Now, the first thing I want to say is confirmation is not required by the Bible. It is a church tradition. And secondly, confirmation is not a sacrament. There are only two sacraments, and that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Confirmation is not a rite of passage, as if it were an initiation into a progression of things in a spiritual experience. It's not that at all. Confirmation is not a requirement for marriage. It, uh, confirmation does not confer, confer anything on those who are being confirmed. So tonight there's no uh, mysterious magic going on up front. We are simply praying, we are simply saying things, we are referring to the scriptures and to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it doesn't confer anything on these confirmees tonight. It merely confirms what is already there. Something that is already there and they are confirming it tonight. Confirmation doesn't make a person a church member. Confirmation is not a requirement to take the Lord's Supper because all that you need to be as one who participates at the Lord's table is a, a believer. And we hope that if you are a believer here tonight, even if you are from another denomination, that you will join us at the Lord's table because we have an open table for all the Lord's people. Confirmation is in actual fact linked to baptism. And the children of believers, and only the children of believers, who, have, uh, um, who are baptized, they are baptized in the same way that the Israelite boys were marked with circumcision as a sign of God's promises. So the child was eight days old and he was circumcised. And so we baptize our children because baptism is a sign of God's promise to work in our hearts. And what baptism symbolizes outwardly is what God does inwardly. And so when we baptize our children, we are coming to God and saying to God, the promise that you have made to us and to our children, as an outward symbol, we are placing upon our children and we are asking you to do a work in their hearts so that they will come of age when they will also for themselves take hold of this faith personally. And that is what is happening tonight. Each of these three young people, I'll call them up now, they are, uh, they've been baptized and their parents have brought them up in a Christian way. But they want to stand up without their parents, they want to stand up in their own right to declare their faith to you and to the world. And they want to say that we have put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises that God made through the sign of infant baptism that our parents made on our behalf 
has now become a reality in our lives because God has worked in our hearts and we are born again. Isn't that wonderful? It's a wonderful thing to celebrate. And so we are here tonight confirming the fulfillment of God's promises in the lives of these three young people. And so you are here and I'm here to encourage them and to, and to, and to ask God to strengthen them in their walk of faith as they continue along the Christian road. So Kira, Ethan, and Tyler, now's the time for you to come up. We have beautiful Kira, we have good-looking Ethan, and equally good-looking Tyler. <laughs> Tyler, I was gonna say better-looking, but I thought I'd stick to the word equal. So here they are, folks, and we've been, we've been staying with them for the last three months, and so it's been a great joy for us to for Jenny and I to witness the outworking of their faith. Let me tell you, they are teenagers, okay? So I'm not saying, I don't think uh, Kira Borta has wings tonight, so they're not angels and neither am I. But they have, clearly for me, they have expressed and, and displayed their faith in Jesus Christ through their lives and we have been tremendously encouraged. So it's a great joy for me as their grandfather tonight to be able to confirm them in their faith. And so I'm going to question them and they're going to answer and then I'm going to lay hands on them separately. Nothing's gonna happen, I'm just simply identifying with them and expressing our love for them by me placing my hand on their shoulder and then praying for them and rejoicing with God over what he has done. Kira, Ethan and Tyler, in the presence of God and of this congregation, do you confirm your repentance from sin, your personal commitment to Christ as Savior and Lord, and the promises made for you at your baptism to reject the devil and all his works, the empty display, greed, and false values of the world, and the sinful desires of the flesh? Yes, I do. Do you believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord? I do. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, was born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God the Holy Spirit, Christ's holy universal church, the fellowship of Christians, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting? All this I truly believe. Will you continue in Christian fellowship, personal Bible study, and prayer? I will, with God's help. Will you obey God's holy will and commandments and serve Him faithfully throughout your life? May Almighty God, who has given you the will to do all these things, also give you the strength and endurance to perform them and keep you holy and blameless to the coming day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will do it. Amen. Now I'm going to pray for them um, individually, and I'm going to lay my hands on them, but in an ideal world, what I would actually like to happen tonight is for all of you to come up here and join me and everyone placing their hands on them 
as I lead you in prayer. So I'm your representative, and I am identifying with them, with them as I trust that you will as well. And there will be an, a point in the service when I will ask you to appropriately express your support and your encouragement for them at this time. So I'm going to pray for Kira, and there's a lovely prayer. Uh, there's one thing I want you to do. You will see the prayer is a wonderful prayer. It says, defend Lord this your servant with your heavenly grace, that he, she may continue yours forever and daily increase in your Holy Spirit until he or she comes to your everlasting kingdom. And when it comes to that amen, or do you say amen? Amen, 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 whichever part of the country you come from. I want you to say it with all the gusto that you've got in you. Say amen, and let it come from your heart. Okay, Kira. Defend, Lord, this your servant with your heavenly grace, that she may continue yours forever and daily increase in your Holy Spirit until she comes to your everlasting kingdom. Amen. There we go. And here's Ethan. Defend, Lord, this your servant with your heavenly grace, that he may continue yours forever and daily increase in your Holy Spirit until he comes to your everlasting kingdom. Amen. Amen. And here's Tyler. Defend, Lord, this your servant with your heavenly grace, that he may continue yours forever and daily increase in your Holy Spirit until he comes to your everlasting kingdom. Amen. Amen. I got it wrong that time. I'm going to ask you, not at this point, I'm going to pray for them, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to stand while I pray. And then when I'm finished the prayer, I want you to really show them your affection and your support. Let's, let me lead you in prayer as we pray for these three folks. Almighty and ever-living God, we pray for Kira, Ethan, and Tyler, upon whom, after the example of the apostles, we now have laid hands, to assure them of your love for them. May your fatherly hand always protect and shield them. May your Holy Spirit always be with them and lead them into all truth in obedience to your word. Grant that they may grow in the faith and knowledge of Christ and to continue his loyal followers and servants to their lives end. Amen. Would you like to express your support? As we respond and prepare, prepare our hearts to come to God's word and that we receive his word as holy food. Speak, O oh Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant and deepen us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness That the light of Christ might be seen today In our acts of love and our deeds of faith Speak, O 
Tonight's reading is from 1 Peter 2, verse 11 through 25, and can be found on page 1015 in the Red Bible. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everybody, again. And uh, can I just say that I know that there are two kinds of visitors here tonight. There are those that came to uh, support Kira, Ethan, and Tyler, and we really want to thank you for coming out and doing that and being part of this evening. Uh, many of you have been part of their lives for the last two and a half years, and we are so grateful for the role that each one of you has played in their lives. I'm then mindful that there are visitors here tonight who came to just visit Holy Trinity and our 5.30 service, and we're really excited that you are here as well. And I do want you to know that not every Sunday evening is like this. And if you come back next week, it will be uh, just a little, uh, a little more normal. Uh, but we're also really glad that you were able to be a part of this evening. As we, uh, we've been going through a, a series in the book of 1 Peter, or 1 Peter, apparently, as uh, it's called in this country. And, uh, and we're just picking up that, that, on that tonight. 
Um, the passage that, you, that we read, that Kira just read for us, uh, that is our passage for this evening. And I want to just say at the outset, I'm not going to preach the whole passage tonight. I'm actually just going to preach the end bit. And if you want to hear the other stuff about citizenship and uh, slaves and uh, supervisors, you're going to have to come back next week. Uh, and we, I promise you we will go into a little bit of detail on that uh, next week. Uh, but this evening, I just want to, us to focus in uh, at the end of the passage. And I want to ask you this question. What does the death of Jesus mean to you? We all have events in our lives that are important to us. Uh, this evening was an important event in the life of our family, in the life of the grandparents that were here, in the life of the parents that were here, in the life of the children uh, who stood up here and confirmed their faith. We all have significant events in our lives, and I'm sure that you can think of events that in some way, shape, or form uh, have made you the person that you are. But I want you to ask yourself this question, what does the death of Jesus mean to you? What does that event, uh, what power does that event have in forming and shaping who you are? Many of us, maybe all of us, need to be reminded tonight of the remarkable wonder of the death of Jesus. The wonder of that event that Paul calls the word of the cross. In fact, in the first century, when Paul went to the city of Corinth, uh, he went there to proclaim the gospel, and he says he did it by resolving to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we need to hear this, especially in the 21st century, especially in 2024, because it's so easy today for us to go looking for something new, for us to go out and try and find some kind of exciting experience. Between Netflix and Be Real, there is always something new for you to find or you to watch or for you to scroll. In actual fact, I'm surprised more people don't come up to me and say, hey, Jason, when is the next book of the Bible going to be released? You know, that one's kind of old. When's the new one coming out? For some, the word of the cross may have become dull and unexciting. But when wisdom or wonders beyond the death of Jesus starts to take your attention, we're all in dangerous territory. And that's precisely because of that, that we need to hear the words, we preach Christ crucified, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. You see, I hope for you this evening, uh, you'll think of the death of Jesus as the event in your life that shapes it and from which you derive your significance. I think it actually ought to be the case for any and every Christian person when they're asked, what is the most important event in your life? Their mind actually goes back 2,000 years to say, it's actually the death of Jesus. So, what does the death of Jesus mean to you? Come with me to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, you can find it on the red Bibles in front of you. You can use your smartphone. I don't really mind uh, what you use, but get your eyes on it. I'm going to work backwards tonight through this passage. I don't normally do that, uh, but you look like a smart bunch, and I think you can put it all back together at the end. Uh, so, 1 Peter chapter 2, look with me at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, to the overseers of your soul. 
Here are three essential truths about the death of Jesus. What he did, why he did it, and the effect. So firstly, uh, what he did, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. What does that mean? Well, it's about our sins, which is not something that we like to talk about or give much airtime to in our lives, but our sins are real. Our sins are the thoughts and the words and the actions and the attitudes that make us and every one of us guilty before God. Each of us know about our sins. We know how real they are. And what Peter tells us is that when Jesus died, he bore our sins. He took our sins. That means that he took the blame for them, he accepted the punishment due for them, and he took the consequences on himself. That is the great act of love that God has done for us, that Jesus Christ bore our sins. I will be the first person to stand up here, put my hand up, and admit that I am a sinner. Uh, there may have been an incident a few weeks ago in our kitchen. Uh, you know, at dinner time, it always gets a little bit stressful, at least in my home, and uh, there was some exchange of words, and Janine said something, and I shot something back very quickly with no filter, and Janine turned and said, are you talking to me? And Kira, who was sitting at the counter doing her homework, said, no, he was talking to me. Uh, Kira didn't bear my sins in that moment. She covered them up. And that's... <laughs> and that's but that's not what Jesus did. Okay? This is an illustration of what Jesus did not do. He did not cover up our sins. He did not our sweep our sins underneath the rug. He bore them. He took them upon himself. He accepted the punishment that was due for them. That is the great act of love that God has done for us. Why did he do that? Well, look again at the next part of verse 24. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Again, what does that mean? Well, here Peter is thinking about two worlds. There's the world where people live as sinners, the world in which people are guilty before God, and because of their guilt they are cut off from having a relationship with God. Uh, they are living in a world where either they think that God is one of us, or that God from a distance is watching us remotely. But there's another world, Peter says, a world where people are right with God, where people know God and people live for God, and God is not remote, God is not distant, God is not one of us, but a world where people can have a relationship and enjoy fellowship with God. These are the worlds of sins and the world of righteousness. And Jesus died on the cross so that we might die in the first world, for that is the world where we all find ourselves, that is the world that we are all born into, that we might die in that world and actually come to life again in that other world and begin a new life altogether. Jesus' death made it possible for us to begin that life in that new world. Now those two worlds overlap at times and sometimes they get mixed up with one another. Sometimes they get mixed up in our own minds. And we can see and feel and experience the old worlds still pulling on us. But Jesus' death means that it is a real possibility to belong to this new world, to live and to have your life in a world where people are declared right with God, 
a world where God can be known, a world where God rules, a world where God is lived for, a world where sins are dealt with and forgiven. And so thirdly, Peter describes the effect that all this has. Look at the end of verse 24. It is by his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Peter gives two separate images here. Uh, the first is that our sinfulness back in the old, old world is like a deadly sickness, a sickness that will destroy you in the end. But Jesus has healed us because he has borne our sins. The second image, our sins make us like sheep wandering away from the shepherd. Uh, now, I could go into all kinds of wonderful, funny illustrations. Uh, sheep were a big thing in South Africa, and whenever we drive to go on a vacation, uh, we drive past sheep. And uh, I know a lot of people have tried to prove the intelligence of sheep, and I'm sure there's something there, but for the most part, sheep are really dumb. They lack a lot of intelligence. They just follow and meander and walk, either wherever the other sheep go, or if there happens to be a shepherd or a sheepdog, wherever it is that they are herded. And so the image that you have here is of a bunch of sheep wandering along a dangerous path close to a, sh a cliff about to suffer their destruction. It's not so different to being in high school, really, is it? following everyone else over the edge because everybody is doing that and that's just what you're supposed to do and you're on the verge of falling to your destruction. Except what Peter says is that because of Jesus' death, because he bore our sins, we are now able to return to that shepherd, to that overseer of our souls. That Jesus Christ is that good shepherd, that great shepherd that welcomes us back, that leads us uh, besides still water, that feeds us, that rescues us. So let me ask you again, what does Jesus' death mean to you? I wonder this evening if you see the wonder of it. I wonder if you recognize that not one of us has a greater problem in our life than the problem of our sins. We all face lots of problems. We all face lots of big problems. Some of them probably aren't quite as big as we think they are. Others of them are bigger than we could possibly imagine. Some of you have walked in here tonight facing your own sets of problems. But as we face all of these problems, big and small, the enormous problem that all human beings have is that we are weighed under by sin, by our sins. Our sins, if, done, if nothing is done with them or about them, will kill us, destroy us, and send us over the edge of the cliff. Our sins lock us into a world that is doomed. Now here is the news that something has happened in this world that deals with your sins and that with my sins. That Jesus has died for them. That he has borne our sins in his body on the tree. I can't deal with them. You can't deal with them, but the promise of the gospel is that Jesus has dealt with them. Any person who is a Christian has to look and think about the death of Jesus and look and think that this really is an extraordinary event that I am basing my life on. This extraordinary event that is actually able to bring about change, not only in my relationship with God, but in relation to every single way that I live 
in this world. Don't forget that this is said in the context of how we should relate uh, to the state, how we should relate to supervisors. It flows into how we should relate to spouses, how we should relate to our spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, when, when you, this event is of such significance, this event brings about such change in your life, this event could change you so dramatically this evening, more than graduating high school, more than uh, getting your first job after you finish college, uh, more than meeting the man or woman that you're going to marry. Uh, this could change you and define you more than losing a spouse or losing a career or getting a cancer diagnosis. All those events are significant events that will have effects on you, but none should have as much of an effect on you as the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter goes on, just as we're working backwards, to say, now, if this has had an effect on you, what does that mean or what does that look like? Well, look back with me at verses 21 to 23. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see, we've seen what Jesus did when he died, We've seen why he did it and the marvelous effect that it has on us. But now Peter wants us to think about the manner of his death. We're actually asked to think about how Jesus behaved when he went to death for us. Because, and, and this is how Peter's argument goes, if Jesus behaved like this, how do you think you should behave? You who have benefited so greatly from his death. How did he behave? Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. He was innocent. What happened to Jesus in the lead up to his death, the mockery of a trial, the betrayal of Judas, the abuse, the torture that he endured, the scorn that was poured out on him, the lies that were told about him, to put it ridiculously mildly, was not fair. There is no conceivable way that anything that happened to him could be justified. He did not deserve to suffer like that. So let me ask you, have you ever found yourself asking, why has this happened to me? Why me? Well, no one has ever been more justified in asking that question than Jesus would have been. Have you ever wanted to scream out, this just isn't fair? No one would ever have been more justified to cry out like that than Jesus. This is not fair. He had done nothing but good his whole life. He had spoken nothing but truth his whole life. He had never pleased himself, but had always served others. And his life ended like this, insulted, beaten, treated like a criminal, nailed to a cross to die the most horrific death imaginable. And how did he behave when they hurled his insults at him? Verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You might wanna go home this evening and read the full account of, of Jesus' death in Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. All the gospels have a detailed account of what happened. But here, Peter just sums it up like this in a few words. 
How did he behave? Did he stand on his rights? Did he thump the table and say, you can't do this? Did he shout out, I am innocent? Did he defend himself? Did he seek justice for himself? Did he go after revenge? No, 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 no. Look back at verse 21. He suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Friends, you and I will never be called to suffer as Jesus suffered. He did that for us. But, and this is a big but, you and I are called to suffer as Jesus suffered. If you can see the difference. We are to live our lives as Jesus died his death. What does all that mean? Well, you are gonna have to come back next week as we unpack a little bit of what that looks like. But if you go to the beginning of the passage that Kira read for us, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Loved ones who are sojourning exiles, sojourning is just a really fancy way of saying traveling through, passing through, who are sojourning exiles, abstain from the sinful desires and live good lives. He gives examples of the state. He gives the examples of supervisors. He gives the examples of a marriage. He gives the examples of what it means to live uh, as the church together in life. But the example that he gives at every single point is the order, the God-ordained order, that there is authority. And Peter presses this point home really strongly in verses 18 to 20. He, he doesn't just talk about, uh, about, uh, being, uh, about responding this way to people who you like or people who are good and considerate towards you. He talks about doing this in the midst of suffering. Uh, in the midst of slave masters who are unbad and who are cruel and who are unjust. He talks about doing this with the emperor, Nero, uh, who was a land-grabbing tyrant. And he says, now submit yourselves. Be subject to, at every single point, the refrain is be subject to for the Lord's sake. In other words, the example that Christ gave us to follow was that we are called to be subject to those whom God has put in authority over us for the Lord's sake, because Christ suffered and left for us an example that we are to follow. Now I know, okay, and especially the theologically minded here tonight and the, the careful students of scripture, I know that Peter is primarily talking about persecution and I'm lumping together all of this suffering, but really what Peter is trying to push us toward is to think about our own response to suffering but to push us even deeper than that, to think about our own response to what do we think about the cross? What effect does the death of Jesus Christ have on our lives? What does the death of Jesus mean to you? What effect has the death of Jesus had on you in the last 24 hours? And so you might need to this evening consider how you come to terms with the death of Jesus. You might need to consider this evening how once again you think about how I preach nothing and live nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, you might need to be reminded tonight that no amount of suffering, uh, no amount of why me or this isn't fair will ever compare to what Jesus 
did for you on the cross. And allow, wherever you might be at, allow the cross to reframe everything in your life. For it is to this that you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving for you an example to follow. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, and continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so let me ask you this evening, have you entrusted yourself to the one who is judged, who judges justly? Have you repented of your own sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And if you have, and praise the Lord that you have, will you walk out of here with a new resolve not to trust and trust your life to yourself, but to continue entrusting your life to the one who judges justly, to the one who bore your sins in his body on the tree, that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. For it is by his wounds that each one of us is healed. Will we follow his example? Would you bow with me and let's pray. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. We thank you that it is your wisdom and your power to save. And Father, we pray, wherever we might find ourselves this evening, for each person in this room, myself included, that when we think about the cross, that would be the event from which all the significance of our lives is derived. And that as we look at Christ's example, we will deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to move straight into celebrating the Lord's Supper. Like I said, we do that a little bit differently here, maybe than what you're used to, although if you spent any time in the South, you've probably seen it like this before. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that uh, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, we would love for you to partake uh, at this family meal together with us. Uh, the way that we do it here is everybody actually gets up out of their seats row by row, and they'll come forward, and someone will hand you a wafer, and they'll say something to the effect of, uh, eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you. And then you'll walk uh, about six feet over to one side or the other side, and there'll be somebody standing with a cup, and they'll say something to the effect of, drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you. I wanna say that there's nothing special about these wafers. They are just wafers and we order them from somewhere online. There is nothing special about this wine except that it's cheap and bad. <laughs> Seriously though, and not to make light of it, what we are doing here is we are reminding ourselves of the gospel. Paul said uh, in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, that we, we do this uh, as often as we eat in remembrance that Christ died for us. And so what I want you to do this evening is not only take this evening for yourself, but also take this as a proclamation of the gospel to one another, that Jesus died for us as individuals, and he also died for us as a people. If you don't feel comfortable coming up front and taking, that's fine. We still love you. You are welcome to stay in your seat. Uh, if you feel like you just need to follow the crowd and you're still not sure you want to take, you can come up and just cross your arms when it comes to the person giving you the bread, and they'll just pray for you, uh, and that's absolutely fine as well. Uh, so, as we come to this part of our service, uh, Heavenly Father, we lift our hearts to you as we gather at your table.
You are worthy at all times and in all places to receive glory, honor, thanks, and praise through Jesus Christ our Lord. For he is your living word from before time and for all ages. By him you created all things, and by him you make all things new. When we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you in your tender mercy gave your son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption. He made there a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice offered once and for all time for the sins of the whole world. By his death, he reconciled us to you, satisfying your just demands. By his rising to new life, he has secured eternal deliverance for his people. We thank you, Father, that on the night before he died, Jesus took bread, and when he had given you thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal, he took the cup, and again giving you thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, Father, we thank you for these gifts of bread and wine. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that all who eat and drink them, believing our Savior's word, may share in his body and his blood. Amen. I'm going to invite you to take up your bulletin, and inside there's the Lord's Prayer. We're going to pray that together as a congregation. So why don't you join with me and let's pray. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, at just the right time when we were weak and unable to help ourselves, Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Jesus Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. So just row by row, uh, Start at the front, we'll work our way back. You come up, put your hand out, we'll put a wafer in there, we'll say, eat this in remember that, remembrance that Christ died for you. Walk over, the person will say, drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you. You dip the wafer in, okay? We're, we're not drinking out the cup. Dip the wafer in, and then you eat it. So I'm gonna invite that first row to make their way up. I'm gonna invite uh, the musicians, John, Tripp, guys. I'll come serve
friends. It's, uh, as you might have, one of the things that we do do uh, on Sunday nights is uh, we do a lot of stuff congregationally. So we read the Bible together, we pray together, we confess our sins together. There's a prayer that we pray together after the Lord's Supper. Uh, and then we're gonna sing our last song. Uh, once we've done all that uh, there, we've, we've uh, my family cooked up uh, some, some, some real food. Uh, we'd love for you to stay and uh, enjoy and celebrate a little bit. Uh, I know that my wife said to all the special invites, we'd be done by 6.30, and we just didn't know so how many of you were gonna come. And so we went overtime because we had to serve that many extra people. It wasn't because I, I preached long, or because the bishop was long, or anything like that. Uh, but once you join me, and we're gonna pray this prayer together, and we're gonna sing each other out of here. Uh, and then we're gonna carry on with the celebration. Uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, we bring you praise and thanksgiving and ourselves, our souls and bodies to be a holy and lifelong offering to you. Lord, accept this duty and service we owe you, not because we deserve it, but because of Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name alone we come to you, amen. Let's stand and let's sing together of the goodness of God, born out in the gospel, uh, born out of the lives of these teenagers here tonight.
Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Friends, thanks for being with us. We'll see you uh, next week or we'll see you during the week somewhere in life. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.